Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. We're going to get into the Word. You know, last week, I um, thought about how many people responded to the whole idea of our confidence to come into the presence of God and what that means. I got emails, text messages, Pastor Jamal, who was enjoying uh, with his lovely wife, Rita, the 24th wedding anniversary today. Um, But uh, we, we, we shared during the week the feedback that came when we talked about being able to boldly, confidently stand in the presence of God. And how, if, if even a believer can be trapped in an old mindset, even though they're in relationship with Christ, and now experiencing the God of love, they could still have an old mindset. And as I thought about that, I said, wow, let me, let me take some time to kind of break that down as we, as we think about presence, our theme throughout the year. So, and I had to go back because we have to contrast. I had to go back to um, the book of Genesis, of course, beginnings in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 because we have the words before the fall, before Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree And uh, please don't waste time trying to figure it out, whether it was an apple or a cranberry. Uh, It's fruit. doesn't matter. The fact that they engaged in an act, before that, they were, the Bible says, naked and unashamed. And after they ate, they were naked and ashamed. Same word, naked, But now, a change has taken place. And I wanted to just unpack that with you a little bit. If we can go to uh, Genesis 3, 7. Because this this is what happened. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 6. Genesis 3, 6. We'll start there. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and we can unpack that, but we won't this morning. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. Just take a moment with that. The eyes, then the eyes of both were open. Boy, I know some of you saying, well, you know, why did it happen after Adam and not immediately after Eve? That's another conversation, but take some time to think about it and study it. But what does it mean? Does it mean all of a sudden physical sight came to them? No, they had physical sight. Something else happened. You know, in the New Testament, we have language where The Apostle Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding be opened. 
so that we can know the breadth, depth, the length of, of, of Christ and the riches of Christ's love for us. So the opening of eyes, having your eyes open, means that you are now introduced to a new understanding, a new lens, a new way of seeing things. You've experienced something called a co cognitive effect. So it wasn't that their eyes were open and all of a sudden, you know, their physical eyes could see. No, their understanding changed. Something deep and profound took place. So it was a cognitive effect. It affected their thinking, the way they would learn and process information, and the way they would recall information, memory. Because cognitive skills have to do with our reasoning process, the way we think. Secondly, the way we learn, the way we take in and process information, and the way we recall information. Because if you notice, we tend to not recall with a degree, uh, with the necessary degree of accuracy that we become reliable witnesses. That's why whenever there's a situation, they gather many witnesses. And you could have 10 witnesses see the same thing and recall it differently. Something happened inside of them. So I want to go back to that and talk about this cognitive effect that it had upon them. Their eyes were opened. It had a cognitive effect upon their soul. Yes, it affected them physically. They would surely die. But it affected their soul. What is a soul? The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It affected how they thought, how they processed information, how they saw the world around them, how they saw themselves. Remember, they hid themselves. They were afraid. How they saw God change. Even how they saw each other, Adam and Eve, change. So, relationship change because understanding change. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, it affected the way they think the way they exercised their will, all right, and motivations, and also how they felt, how they experienced emotional interaction with the world around them, each other, and with God. That's why I put Romans 12, 2 here. Why? Because it says you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's important because when we become born again, born again, born of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, right? We have to now think differently. Our eyes are opened in a different way. Our eyes are now open to the truth of God in Christ, who has come to uncover things that were hidden intentionally from the foundation of the world. So we have to go through a process of undoing but too often we don't realize that, and this is why we have to be taught. That's why the teaching ministry is so important. It's important to feel good, hallelujah, to be inspired and stir the creative juices. But what transforms you is when that information changes you on the inside. Not just inspires you, but transforms the way you think, the way you exercise your will, the choices that you make, and, and it changes the way you feel the way you feel about yourself. 
It gets into the realm of your emotions. So their eyes were open. They began to see the world differently. They began to see things differently. And that's what should happen when you are born again. I, I, I will tell you, I remember the, 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 the night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. A whole new world opened to me that was foreign. It, it, it was new to me. I, I, I had no idea. I know what I felt. I know what I was thinking about what I experienced. So it, it took hold of me in terms of my thought process, my, my emotions, my will. I just wanted to do God's will. Whatever God wanted done, I, was, I wanted to do it. And I felt this, this, this sense of, 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 of repentance. I just needed to cleanse myself of, of all of the things. I didn't want any identification with evil. Boy, it was a honeymoon. <laughs> I enjoyed those first few months, and then I had to come off the mountain and deal with the real world. But it was a whole change for me, and I began to feed on the Word of God and allow it to inform the way I thought, inform the exercising of my will, my motivations, and inform my feelings, how I should feel. And I let God begin to shape my brain, reshape my brain to think differently. So their eyes were open. And you know what happens when your eyes are open to something. Maybe you've been blind to something, uh, willfully blind, because you, you, you choose not to see it. And then when you finally embrace a reality, you think differently. Truth will change your understanding. Truth will open your eyes. And it's not always a pleasant experience when truth opens your eyes. So you're familiar with the term, and you've probably said it again and again. Boy, did I have my eyes open on that one. Yeah, you're saying you didn't see certain things before. You were not aware of certain things, even though it may have been right in front of you. Your perspective changed, and that's what happened to them. I want to make a comparison because I think it's important that you understand that redemption in Christ is about bringing us back to that beautiful innocence that they experienced in the garden before sin entered. Right now, we're still wrestling with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But you need to know the goal. You need to know the objective that God has in mind. So I outlined it here, and we'll take some time with it. Okay, so first, get this. Their eyes were open. It had a cognitive effect. It affected the mind, the will, and the emotions. It affected the way they thought, the way they learned, process information, the way they remember. Jesus said, take heed what you hear. All right, pay attention to what's informing you, informing the way you think, to what's informing your mind, your will, and emotions. And then Jesus said, take heed how you hear. Pay attention to how you process the information. Is it being processed through the lens of your hurt or fear or personal prejudices? Or are you allowing the information to speak to you directly, freely, openly, so that you can then give it critical thinking? I was having a conversation with a rabbi friend of mine. We were having coffee, 
uh, this past week, and we we're talking about the power of entertainment and how entertainment is designed to, yes, take you on an emotional ride by some storyline. But quite often, that ride also requires you to suspend your critical thinking. And that's a problem, because when we suspend our critical thinking, we're open to deception. So thinking, this is why Pastor Karen doesn't like to go to movies with me, because I'm watching a movie and the scriptures are popping up into my mind, and I'm telling her the scriptures, and she says, I just want to see the movie. But entertainment is designed to do that. But we can't suspend critical thinking. We have to take heed what we're hearing and how we're processing it. So this took place, and we ended up with this. Let me go back. All right? So in Genesis uh, 2, I think verse 22, and Genesis 3, 7. So in chapter 2 of Genesis, right, they were naked and unashamed. In Genesis chapter 3, after they sin, what happens? They are now still naked, but now they are ashamed of their nakedness. Let's look at how the transition took place. In the garden, in the way God intended things to be, they were innocent. They were in a state of innocence. Remember, it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they were now exposed to evil in a way that they were not exposed before. They developed a consciousness. When God said to them, who told you you were naked? All right? He was pointing to the activation of their conscience. Their conscience was activated. They were now being judged for right and wrong actions. It took them into a whole new mindset and relationship with themselves and with God. So before they sinned, they were in a state of innocence. There was no guilt. But after they, they, they sinned, they went from their innocence turned to what? Turned into guilt. It turned into guilt. They began to feel the guilt of their conscience. And your conscience is God-given. In fact, it's universal. Every human being has a conscience. And that conscience is sensitized to the universal law of moral right and wrong conduct, no matter who you are. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul, verse 14 and 15, says that even when the Gentiles, having not the law, but do those things written in the law, they show, they become a law unto themselves, showing that there is a law written in their hearts. In other words, even if you didn't know the Ten Commandments, there is something written on the human heart that judges our actions according to a moral standard that God placed in every human being. So, when they were naked and unashamed before the fall, there was innocence, there was freedom, there was openness and transparency, there was simplicity, there was open intimacy, there was confidence, and there was faith. Once they sinned, the conditions changed. This is important. What did they begin to experience as the norm? This was the norm. Hallelujah. What did they begin to experience as the norm? Guilt. They went from freedom to bondage, 
Bondage to fear, bondage to sin, bondage to death. They went from openness and transparency to concealment and secrecy. They went from simplicity to complexity, especially when it came to relationships. Relationships became complex. And you know what I'm talking about. Relationships can be quite complicated. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be that way. It was meant to be simple interaction between loving human beings. So simplicity became complexity. Open intimacy became shame. They were embarrassed. They covered themselves up. Confidence became vulnerability. They now experienced the fact that they were exposed to being emotionally and physically wounded and hurt. That reality came. And, and look, once you experience vulnerability and you know that you now are capable of being wounded and hurt, what happens? Your guard goes up. Your defense goes up. So covering themselves with the fig leaves was more than just covering their physical body. It was trying to protect themselves because of the feeling of shame and vulnerability. They went from faith to fear of being judged. Why did they hide themselves? I'm glad you asked. They were afraid of being judged. I'm going to say it again. They were afraid of being judged. And guess what? To this day, all human beings are afraid of being judged. Don't judge me. We're afraid of what other people may think of us. We're afraid of how people will look at us. The fear of judgment, not only a final judgment for the whole world, but personally, individually. We are constantly thinking about the potential that we're going to be judged. And we don't want to be misjudged. We don't want to be misunderstood. But all of this became a reality once we move from the innocence of the garden into the place of sin. I'll say it again. Innocence became guilt. Freedom became bondage to fear, sin, and death. Openness and transparency became concealment and secrecy. And think about it. Think about it. We, 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 we still experience that today in that when you enter a new relationship, all relationships are based on trust, right? All relationships are based on trust. So when we have a new relationship, right, we work our way towards what? Openness and transparency. I want to get to know you. Relationships go through a process. Introduction first, right? You're introduced, get to know each other a little bit. You move from introduction to the next stage of acquaintanceship, getting acquainted, getting to know each other. And if that's good, then you move to the next level, which is building a relationship, a friendship. And then friendship becomes the basis for the next level of intimacy. And that doesn't mean physical intimacy. Yes, in the context of marriage, you know. But intimacy in the terms of sharing ideas, openness, and transparency. So even in relationships, right, we start out innocent. We start out 
wanting to trust and working through. Unless you've been wounded badly, then, you know, you, you have a hermeneutic of suspicion. Everybody's guilty until proven innocent. I get it. I understand that. But essentially, we start out saying, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And we start off with openness and transparency. But then, when sin enters the relationship, when someone sins against the other person, what happens? Immediately, we move to concealment. The relationship begins to experience secrecy. We start hiding. This whole psychology of this is taking us over, and we live it out, not only on a personal level, but think about concealment and secrecy on a national level. Right now, in our nation, the United States, we're, trying to, we're, we're, we're making announcements, the president's making announcements, well, is Russia going to go to war on the Ukraine? Uh, according to our information, uh, we, we, we think they're ready to go to war, and we're back and forth. Why? Because... Everything is working based on what? Concealment, secrecy. We have espionage, counter-espionage. We have spies. We have all of this. So what, what, what it became as a result of Adam and Eve's sin began to infiltrate and develop over time. And now we live in a world that is filled with what? Concealment, secrecy. In fact, we are quite surprised when someone is transparent and vulnerable. And the reality is... You can't be transparent and vulnerable with everybody. You can't be transparent with everybody. And there are times when you can be transparent but not vulnerable. Transparency means that you allow a person to see what your life is about, which means you, can, you feel you can trust them with that information. Vulnerability is when you allow people to speak into what your life is about. And some people you can be transparent with, but you can't be vulnerable with. And guess what? The same thing with God. When we come to the Lord, who sees everything, who knows everything, what do we struggle with? We still hide stuff, thinking that God can't see it. And yet, we're worshiping, Lord, you know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yet, we try to conceal. We, we, we conduct ourselves in secrecy. Even with God, you've got to work your way back to openness and transparency and vulnerability. So what God intended in the beginning was turned over. It was turned upside down. And now this is what we've got to deal with. Cannot tell you the fear of being judged, how that affects so many people. In fact, when people don't know the love of God, guess what? They're afraid of being judged. And there are churches that are... I have to say it, judgment zones. In their mind, their image of God is this, 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 this moral ruler who's watching us, waiting for us to make a mistake so he can clobber us. That is not the God of love. That's not Jesus Christ. The God of love is not waiting, looking for us to make a mistake. He's cheering us on, encouraging, and doing everything he can to help us make the right choices. He is moving events and touching the hearts of people around us. Why? To move us toward the right choices. But if your image of God is one of a judge who's waiting to condemn you, then you're not going to have a great relationship with God. It's not going to be a healthy relationship with God. And I know Christians who are in that mindset. And their relationship with God is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus put it this way to straighten the record, to set the record straight, rather. He said... 
Uh, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that through me the world might be saved. He also said the world is condemned already. So God doesn't have to come along and judge, all right? We're judged already. By our disconnect from him, we are under judgment. His desire is to reconnect us. This is so important. So those who don't know the Lord, guess what? They wrestle with all of this. Here's the problem that I have. When those who know the Lord are still in this state of mind, they have not gone, going, they're not going through the process of coming back to this, especially in their relationship with God. We want to get there. That's why I want to break this down. We want to be, what, transparent and open as we can because, you know, other people are not. But at least with God, we should be experiencing all of this. Your relationship with God shouldn't be complicated. <laughs> I'll say it again. Your relationship with God shouldn't be complicated. It should be based on the simplicity of God's love for you. Let me take you through some, some scriptures. It's so important because I want you to have the scriptural backing for this information. Praise the Lord. So let me go up here. And remember, an uh, interesting thing, just point this out also, um, they said we were naked. We hid ourselves because we were naked. They were already in a process of self-judgment. They were judging themselves unworthy of Yahweh's presence. Notice God comes in the cool of the day, and they're experiencing the presence of God in his holiness, in his purity, which immediately is going to show up their unholiness, their impurity, their uncleanness. They felt it, so they hid themselves. So here, that created a distance between them and God. Redemption Redemption in Christ would have to re reverse all of that and bring it back to this. I'm going to say it again. Your redemption, you're born again, born a second time. Your redemption has to take this and bring it back to this in reference to God, in terms of your relationship with God. People, we'll talk about that separately. But in terms of your relationship with God, we've got to go from here back to here. So, here is the redeemed perspective, all right? The redeemed perspective. And I have to go to a passage of Scripture in John chapter 8. Let's go to verse 1, all right? And you know the story. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, you may see in your study Bible that some manuscripts don't include this particular passage, but certain manuscripts do, and we're reading from that. In verse 1, chapter 8, they went, and I'm reading in, uh, English Standard Version, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. <laughs> Notice the place he comes to? The temple, the place of God's presence, the place of God's love, his forgiveness, his redemption. They come again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman 
who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I wonder how they, they caught her. Wonder how they knew she would be where she was doing what she was doing. But that's, that, we won't go there. That's another story. But they, where is he? At the temple, right? They bring this woman to Jesus. Verse 5, they continue. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, uh, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They weren't even concerned about the woman. It was a bigger agenda. They were going after Jesus, trying to set him up. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. If that's what the law says. Okay, you who are keeping the law, throw the stone. Verse 8, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. It took some time to take effect. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Notice the imagery here. It's just beautiful. Satan is the accuser. These religious leaders, what did Jesus call them? All right. He said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. So they were being instruments, being used as instruments of accusation against this woman's sin. Did, did she commit adultery? Jesus didn't call them liars. Yeah, it was accepted that she was guilty of this thing. In fact, at the end of this, he says, go and sin no more. Right? So he acknowledged that she was guilty of adultery. But here the guilty person is standing, brought by the accusers. Boy, does this sound familiar. Is Satan the accuser of the brethren? So what does Satan do? He brings accusations against us in the presence of Yahweh. And what image do we have here? We have a woman standing with Jesus. And Jesus, verse 9, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him, standing in his presence. Hallelujah. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. Go and from now on sin no more. Her condition, her situation was tied to sin, right? But notice they're accusing her, and he redeems her. How? He's not there to condemn her, but to warn her that her actions have consequence. I had someone ask me, said, well, do you think God will allow, you know, God's going to do something about these people that are doing wrong. I said, no, no, God doesn't have to police people. He puts certain systems in place. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sowed, that, she, that she, shall he also reap. So built into every sin are its own consequences. 
the wages of sin is death. So it leads to the death of the individual in many, many different ways. So God doesn't have to police people. If, you, if that's what you think he does, get that out of your head. God set a system in place so that when we do wrong, there is a consequence of that wrong. Nobody gets away with anything. God set it up so beautifully. But let's look at the redeemed perspective. And I'm going to go to the New Living Translation for this, these particular passages that I want to share with you. The NLT, New Living Translation. And let's begin at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians 1, 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I'm gonna, I, get, I need to read that again. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Get our position? Get where we're standing? In Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Where are we holy and without fault in his eyes? In Christ. Outside of Christ, we're full of guilt, shame, right? But in Christ, look at it, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be what? Holy and without fault in his eyes. I know some of you have a problem with that. The whole idea that, that and you know you, what you do, you know that you've slipped up along the way and some of you are doing some things you shouldn't be doing right now. Amen? But how does God see you? How does God look at us in Christ? He sees us according to the righteousness of Christ. He that knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So look at it again. I'm going to read that again. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So when you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, guess what? He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ, holy and without fault. Hallelujah. Does he expect you to repent of known sin? Absolutely, because that affects your fellowship. First with you, because sin puts you in that condition. Guilt, all right, bondage of fear and all of that. He doesn't want you there. So let's take a look at another passage. God's people are holy and without fault in his eyes. Why? Because we trust in Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins. We look back at the cross. When we stand before the Father, we're looking at the cross and what it did for us in terms of our sin. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7. He, God, is so rich. Oh, let me pause right there. So rich in kindness and grace 
that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered oh, his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. This is not the God of wrath who's waiting to beat you over the head. If that's where you are, you're missing it. And you're living in a place of guilt and shame that God never intended for you. He wants you to have a loving relationship. He knows what you struggle with. We have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses, our infirmities, because he went through it himself. He came to experience what we experience. Again, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Do you hear that? He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So although he's poured out his grace and his kindness on us, he still expects us to access his wisdom in terms of how we think, how we exercise our will, and how we allow our emotions to influence our choices. Let's go to another passage, Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. You know how many people put this off into the future? No, we are right now washed and clean before God. Our consciences purge from dead works to living works with the living God. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. He's brought you back in relationship with himself through the death of Christ. How did he do it? through the death of his son Jesus in his physical body. As a result, as a result of Christ's death, right? As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Gosh, hallelujah. Where they were evicted from, not only a, a, a physical space, but a condition. They entered another space and another condition. Look at what it says. Yet now, not in the future, not later, right now, Verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, as a result of that death, <laughs> oh, glory, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I know this is rocking your brain and you're having a hard time. You know why? Because you're looking at your flesh down here and the things that you continue to do and make mistakes about. God is aware of that. But when you are in his presence in Christ and you're presenting yourself to the Father in Christ, guess what? He looks at you faultless because of Jesus. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Cannot tell you how many Christians that I talk to are constantly trying to live up to a moral standard and measure whether God loves them based upon their ability to, 
to finish a day without sin. No, every day we're going to miss the mark in some way, fall short in some way. That is a roller coaster ride you don't want to be on. Let the scripture speak to you. Let the scripture be the final authority in your relationship with God. I don't worry about that. I know that sin, right? The wages of sin is death. I understand that. I understand that if I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap from the flesh. That is real. But in my relationship with God, hallelujah, when I come before him in Christ, I stand before him without fault. I know it's hard. <laughs> this is what redemption is all about. Let's go to Titus, book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared, oh, hear this. He declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Are you listening to all these passages of Scripture? Look, the only thing you can do is leave here in denial of what you just heard. Jude chapter 1, and there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude 24, chapter 1, verse 24. Look at what it says. Now... All glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Oh, ah, hallelujah. Now, let's go to Romans. Let's wrap this up. We, we, we've got to go to Romans chapter 8. Got to go to, and, and we're going to read through this. This is a lot, but we're going to read through this because I want you to capture this. Capture your relationship with God. He's brought you to a place of innocence and freedom, openness and transparency, simplicity. And, and, and don't complicate the relationship with God. Open intimacy, confidence, and faith. This is where he wants you to live. That's where we were fallen from. That's what he wants to deliver you from. Hallelujah. Romans 8.28, very familiar passage. And we know, and we know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. It's not that he said, oh, I want that one, not that one. No, he knew who would embrace his gift of grace through Jesus Christ. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Listen, that refers back to Jesus' prayer. Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. I pray that they may know that you love them just as you love me. Let's continue. Hallelujah. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Your right standing with God is not something you earn. It's a gift. 
that cost him the life of his son. It's a gift. <sighs> he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Paul continued, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What wonderful things? The things that you shared with you. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If we're willing to believe him, trust him with our lives. Look at verse 33. Love this. Paul deals with the accusers. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Oh, I, I got to read that again. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. That's one of mine. That's one of mine. That's one of mine. That's one of mine. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. We are more than conquerors. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's on you now to believe the word of God. It's on you to believe. The word of God. And that word has come to heal you, deliver you, free you, and bring you back to the place of childlike innocence, freedom, openness and transparency with God, simplicity, open intimacy, confidence and faith. God himself has given you the gift of right standing. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. When you need mercy, come on. Come boldly, confidently into his presence where there's joy, redemption, elevation, liberation. God loves you. It's up to you to believe. It's up to you to trust him.
We have a minister waiting to share with those of you who've never embraced Jesus Christ and this love and this grace that I'm talking about. He's going to pray with you, and then I'll be back, and I'm going to pray with you. Amen, family. I'm going to give you just a second to soak all of that in, what you just heard. You know, um, I'm not an anointed praise and worship singer like Darren Hobbs, but the song that came to me as Pastor was reading the last portion of Scripture is, Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get ye behind. Victory today is mine. I pray that that song now makes more sense than it ever has in your life. What God has done, what he is still doing. Pastor talked about us being caught in the world of being naked and ashamed, both believers and unbelievers. He talked about us being still wrapped in guilt, trapped in bondage, hiding behind, you know, being concealed in secrecy. But I want to read a portion of scripture that Pastor referenced early. Because Paul also shares how to be vulnerable and transparent with God. He says this in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 in the message version. Here's what I want you to do. And this is God's call and appeal to you right now. For those of you who don't know him. For those of you who have been feeling God calling and you've been, again, wrapped in guilt, you've been letting that pull you away from God and God is trying to redeem you. He's trying to call you. He says this, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Whatever God asks you to do, he's going to help you to do it. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. And then he says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, like those men who brought the women before Christ. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. That's God's appeal to you. Don't fight no more. Don't stay trapped in guilt. Don't hide. Don't conceal. Give God everything. Guess what? He already knows. He just wants you to surrender to him. So if I'm talking to you, right there where you are, whether you're in the living room or in the bedroom or in the kitchen, wherever you may be, and, and God has stopped you. He has stopped all the traffic in your mind just for you to hear these words. Let me pray for you right now. And just lift up your hands. It's just a physical expression of our spiritual surrender to God. Just lift up your hands. Father God, right now, I pray for that man, for that woman, 
for that father, for that mother, for that son, for that daughter who has their hands lifted up and want to surrender everything to you. I ask that you cover them right now with your love, with your presence as you are redeeming them right now. As you are speaking words of love over them right now. As you've always done, but now they can hear you, God. Thank you, Father God, for the words that were spoken through our pastor. Because that even as you used his voice, Father God, you were speaking to many. And thank you for those who have heard and are responding. And what I want you to do now, family, as your hands are up, is I want you to repeat these words after me. I want you to say them. Bible says that when we confess, when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, we are saved. So confess it right now. Say, Lord, here I am. Everything that I am, everything that I'm not, I'm yours, God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, God, for wiping away the shame wiping away the guilt I know I have a long way to go Father God but I'm going to place my life before you as an offering because I know Lord God you know best for me thank you Lord God for loving me I know that you died and I know that you rose again on the third day and that you're interceding on my behalf as well as on the behalf of others who are going through like me but thank you for your love over me Teach me how to read your word. Open my heart of understanding. Develop me, as Paul says. Mature me. Thank you, Lord God, even for this ministry. Thank you for leading me here. And thank you for where you have me to go. I will trust you. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. And just like that, you are his. Just like that, the angels are rejoicing. And family, we want to stay in touch with you. On the screen below, you should see a, a number and a text. Please reach out to us as we want to reach out to you and congratulate you and also walk with you through this incredible new journey. God bless you, family. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Thank you, Minister Reggie Alvarez. You know, first of all, if you made Jesus Christ your, your Lord and Savior today, Welcome to the family of God. And you can text SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 631-250-2688 or call 718-306-1061. And welcome to all of the first-time visitors. If you're joining us in service today, we welcome you. We invite you to come back again and again and even become a part of our spiritual family. You can text welcome, W-E-L-C-O-M-E-I-N. Okay, welcome in. I like that. And you can text that welcome in to 631-250-2688 or type first time in the chat and we will respond to you. You know, I get a little emotional because I struggled getting this. I didn't get it. it. Took me a while in my Christian walk to really accept it. That's, that's what it was. <laughs> I, it was hard for me to accept it. 
to accept that that's the way God sees me right here, right now. But when I did, it liberated me. It freed me from all the judgment, the accusations that I impose on myself and that others tried to impose on me. We're all a work in progress. You're supposed to be good. It's exactly what you're supposed to do. Because if you sow to the flesh, even though you're a believer, you're going to reap from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. That's what you want. So stop trying to impress God with your righteousness. He's not impressed. Present to Him the righteousness of Christ. That's how we come into His presence. Thank you for being with us today. And I pray that God will continue to open the eyes of your understanding so that you can embrace, believe, and trust the Scripture. Because that's His Word that He sent to heal and deliver us. Till next time, God bless you. As we leave this place, but never God's presence, we declare that Jesus is Lord. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass in the lives of people every day. Till next time, Pastor A.R. Bernard, God bless. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure, subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless. Thank you.